Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie. And on this episode, we are doing the 56th Best Picture winner, Terms of Endearment. Terms of Endearment is a 1983 American family comedy drama. It was directed, written, and produced by James L. Brooks and is based on the 1975 Larry McMurtry novel by the same name. I got really excited when I saw that because I really like Larry McMurtry, particularly because I think his characters are always exceptionally well done and well-rounded. Well, I definitely thought that these characters were well done, well-rounded, and honestly, the adaptation, I'm hoping, well, I don't know, the writing was really good. There were a lot of awesome like one-line barbs in here, so I presume the source material had a lot to do with that. I have not read Terms of Endearment, but I have read some other McMurtry, um, and it seemed his caliber of dialogue. So I I have a feeling some of the stuff was lifted straight from the book. Um, It stars all-star cast, Deborah Winger, Shirley MacLaine, Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito, Jeff Daniels, and John Lithgow. Yeah, all these people just kept popping up, and I'm like, I recognize you. Oh, and I recognize you, too. <laughs> yeah, it is It is a star-studded cast. Um, and basically, it covers the 30 years of a relationship uh, centering mostly on a mother and daughter, although definitely, like, their respective husbands, boyfriends, etc. play into it, but their relationship really is the center of the movie. Apparently, while recording it, McLean and Winger did not really get along during production. Um, you cannot tell it all in the movie because they're both freaking professionals. Yeah, you could have do a fantastic me. job. <laughs> like, holy crap. Like, especially in the latter half where things get really somber, the amount of chemistry they show is so impressive. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a very complex relationship between the two of them, and I think they do a very great job of, like, exploring all the layers, although even when the relationship's more strange, like, you never doubt that these two people love each other uh, more than anything. So, I mean, props to them for their performance and for being such professionals. There was a 1996 sequel called The Evening Star, but um, it was pretty, pretty critically panned. Um, So did not live up to this standard. (laughs) I'll just pretend that I don't even know it exists and go on with my life as if it doesn't. There we go. Perfect. Um, Awards and nominations for this one. So as well as Best Picture, James L. Brooks won for Best Director. He also won for Best Adapted Screenplay. Shirley MacLaine won for Best Actress. Agree 100% with that one. Um. Deborah Winger was nominated for Best Actress, but lost to McLean. I mean, that that that's a hard race right there. Yeah, I'm just like, poor Deborah Winger. Because I know this, I, it's one of those things where when you have really two strong performances, like a couple of those or a couple of really strong movies that arguably both should win. Uh, like, what do you do? That's, it's hard. <laughs> well, and, but you can't put either one of them in supporting. Oh, yeah. They, they carry it the same weight on both their shoulders. Right. Um, and I, I think I would agree with giving it to McLean. I think winger's a little bit weaker at the beginning and then her performance gets incredibly strong. Mm -hmm. I feel like Shirley McLean is delivering the same level of performance kind of throughout the piece. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you on that front. And <laughs> I, I think it comes down to, at least for me, some of the, the way she played, I think, kind of her more teenage years, because that felt a little strained, maybe a little, I don't know, over the top in a way that I didn't expect. So, yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Um, there was also a pretty tough best supporting actor race. So Jack Nicholson won for best supporting actor. Which, which I'm fine with. I think he was very good in this. Um, and then John Lithgow actually was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor, which I thought it was interesting that he was nominated, but um, Jeff Daniels, who plays Emma's husband, wasn't. I mean, when you look at this, well, I'm, I'm really trying to figure out whether I agree with that, because I, I do think that Lithgow's performance was a lot more layered he just doesn't get a lot of screen time. Like I, like I liked him. I thought he was good and I did really like that character, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. I think that's tough. That's tough for me. Mm-hmm. Cause I guess Jeff Daniels was a little bit one dimensional until the end. His character kind of gets some more layers. Um, it was also nominated for art direction, editing, original score and sound. Okay. I'll take it. I, uh, again, I, I think I went into this not knowing what I was getting into and then being pleasantly surprised, if not extremely emotional at the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cry count was really high. Um, we might have some cry count as we're recording too. Cause I don't know about you, but I like literally just watched it. So I'm still a little emotionally raw. Oh, same. I, I might've been like a couple hours earlier than you, but still I watched it today. <laughs> yeah. Um, Other nominees from that year, and then we'll get into things. uh, The Big Chill, The Dresser, The Right Stuff, and Tender Mercies. Have you seen any of them? Nor have I, but that's a common refrain from me, so nobody is surprised. (laughs) Um, So anyway, in terms of endearment, can I just say that the opening I found to be extremely cool, refreshing, and inventive. Like, all of that. It was so different than what we've seen in a best picture. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when, when I described this movie as a comedy drama, like it, it fully earns both those words. Like it's funny and it is funny right out of the gate. And it also does a fantastic job of setting up Aurora's character because you have, uh, her coming into like clearly a baby's room. Um, and she's like, the baby's not breathing. And I love how just like, kind of non-emotional she is about it like outwardly non-emotional she's just like the baby's not breathing and you just hear the husband's voice being like she's sleeping it's <laughs> fine so you get the sense that this is a regular occurrence <laughs> in this household but even the kind of physicality that Shirley MacLaine played that piece where she gets up on the stool and like crawls into the crib with her child like but it's still so weirdly prim and proper the whole time she does it somehow uh, yeah it's like dainty I don't I, I yeah. don't know how she does it and then does she like pinch the kid or something? Like I think the kid, so. like I think wakes she pinches her, up. her. Yeah, she wakes her up. And the kid starts crying, and she's like, "Oh, she's fine." <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was that was funny. And honestly, even the way that that was shot, that's where um, I loved the way that that was framed and lit, Same. and it was just like created this very clear. I don't know. It almost was like a memory that I had from my childhood of like being asleep and having a parent check on you. So it, it was so well done. 
Yeah, it was it was great. We then pretty much immediately. So I will say the thing with the beginning of this movie, it took me a little bit to kind of like settle in Mm -hmm. because the beginning's a little choppy. Yeah, they I think they gloss over or work to gloss over most of Emma's upbringing. And they do that by having, you know, a couple minutes of vignettes of different ages. And that I did find a little bit unmooring in the very beginning until we hit kind of the the wedding piece. Yeah, yeah, it just it kind of happened really fast and we didn't spend a ton of time on any of them. So I was like, okay, I I'm getting a sense. I do think though that they still despite the choppiness give you a good sense of like what this mother-daughter relationship is. But it it kind of took me, I don't know, it took me a minute to like get into the film. Yeah. So I'm not so sure if I liked the editing there. Mm-hmm. Um But I did love the scene where this is right after um Aurora has lost her husband and she goes in to check on Emma and it's, she's like, Oh, I was just checking to see how you were feeling. Do you want to come and sleep Emma in my was room? Emma was asleep. Mm-hmm. She comes and wakes <laughs> Emma up again. <laughs> I was like, this woman is so neurotic. Uh, but, but the response from Emma was such a representative, like a little quip for their relationship. Cause it was like, no, I don't want to sleep with you, but do you want to sleep in my bed? Like it was such a, it was almost an interaction more on an equal level, which you would not have expected from like an eight year old or 10 year old kid to their mother. Yeah. Like to like in that moment, Emma almost seems like the adult. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. It sets up this kind of this parody between them. Um, but yeah. And then it's uh, them cuddling and falling asleep and it's really sweet um Mm -hmm. and Shirley McLean is doing a great job of showing us that this woman is sad and emotional but like so unwilling to deal with it yeah I I almost think and it took me most of the movie to really crystallize this thought with uh Shirley McLean's character of Aurora but she seems to be this very prim and proper southern belle in Houston Texas like she must have this composure that is superhuman and arguably unhealthy. Yes, I think she's afraid. I think at least through a lot of the film, she's afraid of her own emotions almost. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, it seems like she she's obviously extremely close to Emma, but she seems very unwilling to let other people in. Hundred. And I got the sense that it's like it's it's based on like a fear. And I think they kind of set that up at the beginning with like, well, the baby's not breathing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like some of the stuff that she says later, like, I think she's just afraid of getting too attached to other people. Mm-hmm. But she does to Emma, which I think is is an interesting, like, sweet aspect to their relationship. But yeah. Um, so at the end of this kind of montage, it is the night before Emma's wedding to Flap, which you texted me and were like, <laughs> if their name is Flap, do not marry them. Do not and marry this man. <laughs> let me tell Why you, how right Flap? were you? <laughs> I was so right. Do not marry. His name is Flap. Like, that's not a real name. <laughs> <laughs> Flap Horton. Like, come on, man. Um, but this is, it took me a little while to like settle in and figure out exactly where we were. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Emma and Flap are getting married uh, Aurora is not happy with it. And I understand fully because her daughter's about to marry a man named Flap. That is <laughs> F-L-A-P, people. I just, I understand where Aurora is coming from from this. Oh, yeah. But there's, 
a conversation that she and Emma have. Emma's high as a kite during this conversation. So like, you know, it's going to go well. But this is really, really quick leading up to that. You do get the really strong comedic moments where Emma's like trying to like play it funny on her mom, where her mom's like, would you want me to be silent if I was going to tell you something that would improve your life? And she's like, yes, but I it, would. But it would and hurt runs you. <laughs> or, but it would hurt you. And she's like, yep. And then leaves and then comes back. But she's giggling the whole time maniacally. And that's the piece of the performance where I was like, this is a little much. And why I think her performance was a little bit weaker in that bit. But the serious part, she's supposed she's to good. be high. Like, I think that's what they're going for. Because uh, eh, okay. she and her best friend, uh, what's the best friend's Patsy were clearly smoking and trying to hide it from the mom. Aurora is able to set Emma down. And basically she's saying like, I don't think flaps like great for you. Well, like I don't think he's ambitious. Mm -hmm. I don't think like all of this stuff, basically flap doesn't fit her idea of like what a good man for her daughter is. Yeah. And I think the writing an adaptation really shined through in this scene. Cause the one line that I remember that was just super, super cutting was that you're not special enough to overcome a bad marriage, which on the one hand, holy shit is that shady, but like that's such an example of their relationship, how they are just blunt and there's a brutal honesty there. Yeah. And also just the way that that line is constructed is, is glorious. I, I don't know why I love that writing, but so good. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great scene. Um, and it ends with Emma saying, well, you know, if this is how you feel, then I don't know. I don't think you should come to the wedding to which Aurora responds. You know what? I think the hypocrisy of it was bothering me. And I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and she doesn't come to the wedding. And that that is no. kind of the, the subject of the next scene, which I will say, I know that we have uh, on multiple occasions ragged on films for dwelling on weddings way too long. And I love that this film didn't even show you the wedding. It's we didn't perfect. Need it. It's perfect. It's not important. Yes, it's great. We didn't need it. We just see the aftermath with Flap and Emma at their new home. They're clearly like just in the process of moving in. Mm -hmm. They're both drunk. Uh, they're both mad that Aurora didn't come to the wedding. We get the idea that Flap also doesn't like Aurora and that their relationship isn't good. But he and Emma seem to be at a happy place, although it's very clear to us that he is not smart. N no, no, he is an English professor, but he's just okay He's yeah okay but he does say this another thing that i loved that was where uh, he basically said that aurora held emma in medium esteem which was such yes. a fun turn of phrase um so again cannot emphasize how much the writing was just a treat yeah and i do like that emma's like i feel so totally good about us and i was like that's not foreshadowing <laughs> of any kind <laughs> I do like when like Aurora is calling Emma, like clearly calls her incessantly. And I like when Emma picks up and says, I don't want to talk to you. I'm happy. And then proceeds to talk to her. <laughs> but this this all of these scenes, they really they flesh out the relationship in such an effective way. Because it, yeah. it's like you said earlier, where it's even though they have kind of this adversarial portion, like part of their relationship, they're very much there and present and are going to continue to maintain contact. 
And I do think at least early on, there is a codependency to their relationship that I think they both have to outgrow a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because I do think early on, I was like, this is not a healthy relationship. Oh, agreed. And I I was at the beginning really wondering how I was going to feel about Shirley MacLaine's character because there was a lot I felt and related to Emma quite a bit where Mm -hmm. it's like you have an overbearing like person in your life (laughs) and let me make my own decision damn it yeah and like is she marrying flap just to get away like Mm -hmm. is she is uh aurora's fear of emma not making a good choice forcing emma into a bad choice because she's trying to get away from the from the like controllingness of that relationship i do also want to talk about how throughout this section, we are also setting up that Aurora has a lot of admirers. Oh my they goodness. They all kind of suck. Yes. So there's uh, the the old friend who in the very beginning scene was like trying to touch her knee and she like and she's slapping those clippers from the garden after he's like, Oh, what is it? He says, he was like, I think you just need to admit that like you're a woman with needs. And she goes, or that you have needs. And she goes, no, I don't. And like snaps those clippers. And the look, the look, Shirley MacLaine is able to cut people down with just like the twitch of an eyebrow. It's insane. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Like she's terrifying. Oh yes. And I say that with so much love and respect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she mm-hmm. is terrifying. And you see it in this like dinner party scene that is kind of the next big touch point um, in this part of the movie. So I, uh, the way that we transition into it is one glorious because we're cutting from a discussion between flap and Emma about how it like interacting (laughs) with Aurora is really stressful and the perfection and all that. And it's both flap and Aurora need to try harder because like they've, if you, they both love Emma, they need to try a little bit harder to like at least not fight. Oh yeah. But in the, (laughs) the way that they transition onto this perfect platter of food and flap comes in and ruins it. Just the, the look on Shirley McLean's face where it's the facade of composure, but again, this anger underneath it. And then how she has to take the platter and be like, well, this got to go back to the kitchen and fix it up. And all this is just, (laughs) it's perfect. Perfect for both their characters. She is very into appearances, which is very much in contrast with Emma. I mean, if you even just look at the way they dress, Mm -hmm. um, Shirley MacLaine's outfits are always like perfectly coordinated and she isn't ruffled or anything. Whereas Emma, her, some of her outfits are bonkers. Oh yeah. Um, and she's always looks a little sloppy. Um, but I think, I think there's like such a fun aspect where like they are such opposites in some ways, but like, I don't like, there's still that love there. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, in the dinner party, uh, there is also another great line where Danny DeVito's character is just like staring at Aurora and is just like mesmerized by her. And I love at dinner when he's like just staring at her and like says something about like basically like confessing his love to her. And Aurora goes, don't worship me until I've earned it. <laughs> it's her her subtlety is such it's like the bless his heart. She says that to your face, but yeah. in a way that you don't know that she says it. If you're as dumb as the people she keeps around. I was going to say, <laughs> if 
if you've like, if you are from the South or know anyone from the South, you know, that bless your heart is not <laughs> a good thing. Um, yeah, it means you done fucked up. <laughs> yeah, you done fucked up. Um, I do think this sets up kind of one Aurora's hesitancy to let other people in. But also I think the fact that like she, she's not getting anything from these other male relationships. Like she's not getting what she needs from them because I think she is being put on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. So she, as much as she hates the disorder, I think we're going to see that she kind of also wants the disorder, needs the disorder a little bit as we start to bring in the astronaut. Oh my goodness. It's his introduction is glorious where it's like a group of young women, like leaving the house. So gross at first. Oh my God. He, he comes around. Thank goodness. Yeah. He grows, (laughs) but he is like the stereotypical flyboy that is going to use this, uh, the past his prime though. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. past his prime. Because they're to, to jump a little bit ahead to the scene in the car where he's getting out drunk and the two women have driven him home. I was like, you get him, Doris, when uh, one of the women, Doris, is like he invites her in mm-hmm. and she's explaining to him like, look, like we drove you home because you're clearly drunk off your ass and we were worried about you. And when we were told we were going to like go to a lecture by an astronaut, like I expected a hero. I didn't expect this like washed up gross old man who's going to hit on me. Mm -hmm. And then Doris's friends line about you better go in and tend to that cut (laughs) because he falls down and scrapes his forehead. It's uh, just so cutting. And I I do appreciate that in this movie, they have those sorts of characters, especially young women characters that are obviously smart as fuck and are not going to tolerate his shit. Yes. Um, and I like that you you see both because uh, it becomes clear later in like the scene with like Aurora's quote unquote 50th birthday, <laughs> which we will talk about um, that, like she's struggling with aging. She's very upset at the first dinner party where Emma announces that she's pregnant and Aurora is like, great, I'm going to be a grandmother. So we can tell that she is struggling with aging. I like that we can also t- tell that Nicholson's character Garrett is also struggling Mm -hmm. with aging. And I think it's very clear. And Nicholson's performance is very clear about that in the scene of him, like getting out of the car Mm -hmm. for sure. And his, (laughs) I do appreciate that, uh, Aurora was kind of spying on him and falls off the chair and in, in one of those scenes. So it's again, like introducing those really great comedic bits. They're drawn to each other. Oh my goodness. Um, but we do come to find out that flap has decided to take a job in Des Moines and the way that they like show you this is, is glorious. So, um, I do want to call out that the passage of time in this film is, in my opinion, relatively subtle, but I love it. So we get the announcement that Emma is pregnant and then pretty much the next scene, you see her kid like as a a large toddler kind of playing in the backyard with with their housekeeper. Um, And so it's like very clear you are past a certain point. Things have progressed and you have uh, Aurora and Emma just just talking. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But in the scene, in that scene, when uh, Emma comes to find out that Flap has taken this job, her reaction to it, again, is this is where I think she really started showing her medal as as one of the two leading actresses in this particular or I should say just leading actors in this film, because like agreed she. Yeah. Anyway, because um, it's clear she doesn't want to go. <laughs> well, and she's on the phone. So telephones, huge part of this movie. She is on the phone with Flap. Her mom is in the room. And I like when she says. You you knew you didn't really think I'd be happy about this. Like, let's not lie to each other. So we know something's up. Aurora knows something's up. And then like when she's like, we'll talk about this later. Like my mom's staring at me and Aurora immediately looks away as if to be like, I'll give you privacy. But then when Emma hangs up, she's like, you have to tell me like, again, it's that just like blunt frank mm-hmm. frankness of like, you have to tell me like, we both know that whatever you're going to say, it's going to suck and it's going to be hard, but that it's better if you say it. Yeah. And oh my gosh, Aurora's response where she's like, he couldn't even do the simple thing like fail locally. Like fail locally. I just. <laughs> I wrote that down too. It's Such so a great. Singer. I mean, his name, let's be honest. Would you hire somebody whose name was Flap? Professor Flap. I can't. I just can't. I, it's a his very name unfortunate is Flap, name. Ian, his parents did not do this man a service. I mean, I, I would love to it's know. It's got to be a nickname, right? It, yeah, but. For but what? For what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's it's we'll just leave that as a known issue in this film. <laughs> I got to read the book His name just is to shit. find out what Flap's real name is. Oh, yeah. Um, now, the departure scene, I think, was another masterfully acted scene on honestly every single person's part. So not only the kid actor playing their oldest son, is it Tim or Tommy, Teddy? I think, I think Tommy's the oldest. I think Teddy's the second one. Yes. Tommy, I think is the oldest. And then, um, can we flag that Tommy calls his grandmother, Mrs. Greenway? So telling, so That's telling. So weird. At least, well, it's it's again comes back to that like very buttoned up. I well, I I think that she is deliberately keeping her grandson at arm's length because her grandson is the physical representation of the fact she is a grandmother. Like <laughs> she is not okay with this her, at this point. Her daughter married a man named Flap. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but that plays into this departure scene beautifully. So the the moment between her and flap was warmer than I expected, but also like very much a, I'm not happy with you. Like her words are one thing. Her I'm doing this because this is what people do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not because I actually am happy about this situation or yes. like you at all. <laughs> yes. But again, with the, the kind of like uh, uptight and very, Controlled. Yeah, controlled is a good word. Like controlled emotions of Aurora when she's saying goodbye to Emma. You see uh, like little cracks here and there, which Shirley MacLaine does a f- fabulous job of of just letting you see a little bit in her expression. A little bit. Yes. And fleeting. And 
the line from Emma of that was the first time I stopped hugging first. I almost cried. <laughs> and it's this isn't even so the sad part. Telling. It's so telling about their relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But again, the evolution in their relationship, too, which is really great to already see because that was not very far into the film. And that Emma's not necessarily the one hanging on mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's super interesting. I did have with this section, though, that I think the distance will be very good for both of them. And I don't think that I was wrong. I'd agree. I'd agree. The fact that they are not in each other's business every day <laughs> is a good thing. I get the impression that they talk on the phone pretty much every day, but that, you know, they have some space and that they they almost can have secrets from each other, mm-hmm. even though by and large they choose not to. But the idea of that, like, you're now choosing to share information, I think, is is kind of a powerful equalizer in their relationship. Mm-hmm. I would agree. So there, I think there are two like sister scenes that I see um, in the next bit, one with Emma Flap and Tommy in the car, and they focus on leaving Texas and the way that Deborah Winger kind of like plays that where it's a holy shit, I'm leaving Texas, but in this like kind of resolute, I'm going to go got this. We're going to be OK. Yeah. And even the face she puts on for Tommy, where it's like people are clamoring to come see Des Moines like that's they want to see it before they die. Like all of that is just a, a fun. Um, I don't know. It, it belies her like playfulness, which you see throughout the film. But this is, again, kind of hammering that home. Yeah. And then on the, the other hand, you see Aurora kind of mourning the quote unquote loss of her daughter because <laughs> she's like being all pensive in her garden and again is interrupted by Jack Nicholson's character who is a treat to just watch who screams every time he jumps in the pool well he was coming out of the sauna like that shock how are you gonna not scream Maggie I just I do love the juxtaposition of just this beautifully framed shot in this perfectly manicured garden and somebody being very pensive, and then you just hear screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, she's unhappy about this. Yes, and, but she finally like is going to confront him about it. And my just my note on this section is, what a charmer! Oh my gosh, because it, it's he goes through this whole song and dance about the like White House dinner, and like, would you come to lunch with me? Well. No, no, I was going to invite you to the White House dinner because I didn't know someone old enough and all of my astronaut friends' wives keep busting my balls about, like, the kind of company I keep. So I was going to ask you, but then it got canceled. (laughs) And Shirley McLean this whole time is like, the the fuck is wrong with this man? (laughs) Which she actually says at some point after he's like, but maybe we could go to like lunch or dinner or something. And they're kind of walking along the fence so Mm -hmm. that they can get like, until they get to the end of it. And they're actually like close to each other. And she's basically like, yeah, I I wouldn't say no to a lunch, like kind of being roundabout about it because she can't quite yet say that she just really wants to bone with this man. Um, but then he's like, okay, well, we'll just skip the song and dance then. Like, we both know what this is about. And she's like, there is something wrong with you. <laughs> and just walks away. Like, it was so funny. Well, and she had some great lines about how how weird would it be for you to go on a date that wasn't like an outright felony? <laughs> yeah. Like, she's not wrong. There is something wrong with him. 
again, glor- great writing, great writing. And great performances from those two. Mm-hmm. They're really, really good mm-hmm. together. So the next set of scenes is kind of a development of uh, Emma and Flap's life in Des Moines. And so at, at first glance, it's looking great. It's like, okay, beautiful house. The house is a lot mm-hmm. better than the one that they had in they Texas. They have a really sweet scene with the mattress on the floor in the office where it's like uh, she is very pregnant and they're starting to get a little frisky and all that fun stuff. But it's like it clear they're still kind of in a good place as, as a whole, as a family. Um, yeah. But we do find that after some time passes and a third child is about to enter the picture. Which I just it's the 70s girl get on birth control. The pill is widely available right. by this point. I Googled that because I was like, you need to be on birth control because she calls her mom and has to ask for money because they're about to have a third child and she doesn't work and flaps an assistant professor, which like doesn't make much money. And so her mom is like, are you going mm-hmm. to keep it? Like, you can't afford this child. And I'm like, maybe someone should have had a conversation with their daughter about birth control because it's available now. And I did find that discussion. That was a rough scene. And I thought that that discussion was kind of interesting because it was it did kind of speak to some of the like cultural transitions at that time, especially when it came to abortion and the fact that. I'm sure like I'm not going to like flat out say 100 percent, I'm sure, but it would not surprise me if Aurora, given the wealth that she obviously comes from, might have been in a similar situation, was like not keeping it. And so she doesn't understand why Emma wouldn't kind of go in the same. I don't know why I, I might be like reading into that too far, but it felt more personal to Aurora than than just, you know what I mean? I th- I got the feeling in this scene that Aurora was very concerned about one Emma's just future in general, but two her sense of fulfillment, which I think kind of goes to a lot of those conversations of like second wave feminism around like and even first wave of just like women like being expected to sit at home and be a mother mm-hmm. and to just get all of your fulfillment out of that like why is that the expectation? And because Aurora's saying, like, you know, if you have like another kid, like you're never gonna get a job. Like, what like are you gonna go get a job? Like, what's gonna happen to you in the future? Basically, I think she's worried about her dependence mm-hmm. on flap. Understandably, so uh considering what happens later. So I just I think she's just worried about her. And also I think she's like worried about like, are you like you can't financially support your family right now. Like, what are you going right. to do? So that, that obviously ends very, very poorly. Um, but I think that the, in the theme of ha- not having enough money, this is where we get introduced to Sam, John Lithgow's character. So this is at the supermarket. She's uh, Emma is buying groceries and there is not, she doesn't have enough money to pay for it. She's like six bucks short. This was so painful. And all those people in line are being such assholes to her. And the also, cashier too. Let's talk about the the cashier and her son Tommy. There's a scene earlier too where like you get the idea of like the 
the volatile nature of Flap and Emma's mm-hmm. relationship has definitely impacted Tommy. Oh, and Tommy is definitely of the opinion that Emma is driving Flap away, and he says it like flat out. He does, but it changes later. His you can tell later that he's kind of switched to also being mad at his dad. Like, yeah. Yeah, it definitely seems to impact him a lot more than it does Teddy, who is a freaking sweetheart, the second son. Oh, oh my yeah, God. <laughs> what a the precious The candy child. bar piece of this. So it, it it's like Emma had said to her older son that like, okay, we'll get these candy bars. Has to put them back. And then kind of in defiance of the cashier who's being an absolute asshole, like pulls a candy bar back for her older son. Like a, yeah, mm-hmm. like a single candy bar. And one for her younger bar. son too, but. And her younger son just decides to be like, I don't need this. You can put it back. And and just that it's heartbreaking because that's one of those things that I would imagine as a parent, you would not want to have to have your kid do like make that sort of sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. Because you realize you realize that your kid is having to realize mm-hmm. some tough stuff. Yeah. And then you have John Lithgow's character step up and be like, oh, I'm the guy from the bank who like turned down the second mortgage on your house. But can I at least like mm-hmm. maybe help you with and this? He just floats her two bucks, which ain't nothing. <laughs> and defends like, her to the uh, cashier too, which was just so great. I, I I don't know. He comes in at this very important moment, I think, for Emma. And you see it mm-hmm. because he comes in at a moment where she is hardcore struggling and she has already established that she kind of thinks her husband is having affairs. Yeah, and it's which the fact that two women would sleep with a man named Flap is still mind boggling to me. Yeah. I don't care if we see Jeff Daniels' six pack later. It's not a very good six pack. Mind boggling. It's not a great one. It's a, it's a it 70s, is. 80s six pack. Pre bodybuilding six pack. <laughs> it's a yeah. malnourished. He's a little bit malnourished. It's a, he looks a little <laughs> malnourished. Um. Anyway, Sam is just being really nice and like seemingly understanding of the situation that Emma is in and is like, don't worry about it. They have this fun little interchange about how she's going to going to like pay him back while they're in the parking lot. But I do appreciate how you do see Emma snap a little bit at her eldest son and is like, go stand by the car, go stand by the car. God damn it. Go stand by the car and like kind of chases him off. So that kid won't listen. But also that kid is old enough to kind of understand yep. what's going on. Um, Tommy gets a little bit of a raw deal. Um, let's also during this bit, I think is the quote unquote oh, 50th is. birthday. And I think we should we talk about should. this. We have Aurora with her housekeeper and her three suitors. This poor woman, there have to be better suitors out there than these three and the mean drunk astronaut next door. Okay. And like, let me just, we didn't touch on this earlier, but Vern. Cause Aurora looks great. Like she's, she there's does. gotta be other people out there for her. But like Vern says shit like, Oh, Aurora is God's gift to Vern. And I'm like, wow, dude. Wow. And Danny DeVito plays it beautifully. <laughs> I'm like, yes. way to ratchet up the slime ball. I love it. Um, I, yeah. And then you have, they're saying it's her 50th. You have the family doctor who's like, I think it's your 52nd. And it's like, dude, 
if she's not calling it, if she's calling it her 50th, just let her call it her 50th. And he's like, it's not the age. It's the fact that you're lying about it. And I think it's something we need to discuss. And I love what the housekeeper says. She goes, I think you're a mite confused because of being recently widowed and all. That was the most Southern shit I have ever heard. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> But like, good for her. Like, who the fuck does this doctor think he is? He got invited over for dinner for a woman's 50th birthday. And he's just going to be an ass. Not on her housekeeper's watch. (laughs) No, I like that she just gets up and leaves. Oh, same. You can tell that she's very much considering sleeping with her next door neighbor, Mr. Astronaut, uh, Garrett Breedlove. Oh, because her suitors drive her like when she leaves, she sees them in the window and they're like, oh my Come God, back it's so funny. This is and they open it and they're like, are you OK? And she's like, I'm fine. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. Oh, my God. That That is something that I would see on stage potentially. Like, that's kind of what it felt like. And it was just so funny. A lot of the scenes in this movie feel like something on a stage play, like with the setup. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it, a lot of it's a little slapsticky. I'm okay with it. Which is really though. refreshing. I love it. I love slapstick. Um, through most of this movie, I was like, oh, the score's fine, but like it's not particularly noticeable. There's a bit here where she's taken off her shoes because you can tell she's a little drunk mm-hmm. and going up uh, Breed Love's stairs. And the, the score kind of trips along with her. And I really liked and, that. And the way she kind of like points her toes at each step, like the, the physicality and how she's doing that is, is again, a testament to the superb acting job. But she brings up the offer for lunch and apparently they're going to go to lunch the next day at noon, not 1230 at noon. Noon. <laughs> Which that whole date is hilarious. Okay. Should, let's talk about the date. Because can I just say, the okay, so she's all dressed up looking nice. He's looking nice, too. They get in his convertible. <laughs> and uh, this reminded me of a side story, Ian, when you borrowed your dad's convertible and we were, we were going to like go to the museum or something. And you texted me and was like two different headscarves. And you were like, which one do you want? <laughs> for the convertible and i was like "Ooh, i know these things i would have just put my hair in like a sloppy bun but ian was like no 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 we're doing this up we're doing this right oh my god it's uh it's great i love that he's like oh did you want me to put on the top and she's like oh no i'm like old like women woman. are just prepared for everything and she's got her like scarf to put on her head but like it's not quite enough for like driving down the highway. <laughs> oh no. Cause that scene with her just like futilely attempting to, to just hold that scarf on and the scarf ends up just like letting go down the road. And you see her like grab for it in the back. She's like, can we put the top up <laughs> uh, maybe? And he's like, the top's in the garage. Like you said it was fine. I just, it's I, great. I feel like this, this whole date in this scene is so symbolic of like their relationship. Right. And I think this is where we really see 
her starting to let go. Mm-hmm. She's not, she doesn't quite get there on the date, but she's kind of starting to loosen up a bit. And it's, it's almost being like forced upon her, like her being like, no, it's fine. I can loosen up. And then she's like, Oh, maybe I don't want to loosen up, but like, it's too late now. Like the tops in the garage, honey. Mm-hmm. Well, and you do see that in some of the things that she does when they get to the restaurant. So she apparently most of her hair was a, a hair piece that she had clipped in. And so she just takes it off and has this cute little tight, bun in the back, which still looks great, but is much less debutante than what she was going for. And even the discussion about um, how Garrett shouldn't be noticing other women while he's she's with him. And then he is basically like, you need some alcohol to kill that bug in your ass. (laughs) And then she orders bourbon, preferably wild turkey. I'm like, love that. Well, they have a conversation where he's like, I think we're going to have to get drunk. For this date to work, I think we both need to be plastered. And she's like, I don't like to get drunk. And he's like, you just really need to trust me on this. <laughs> and so she does. She orders bourbon and they get shwasted. Oh, my God. So wasted. Now, that is kind of the bourbon order is the, where we leave them and get a juxtaposed scene of Emma with Sam. And they are like at some diner out of town on the down low, like hanging out. <laughs> And it's very clear that they have essentially already had some sort of like emotional affair to put it and use that turn of phrase. They haven't like had sex yet. Like Emma makes that clear in her dialogue, but they've definitely both thought about having the affair and have clearly talked some about it and are talking some about it now. And I thought this was really interesting with the two of them, how it's like a a pre-planned affair almost where it's like, it's a thing that they talked about. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't a thing that just like happened or there's no part of it with Emma being like, Oh, well for Emma, it was an accidental affair. So therefore we can write it off later. But like, no, like she was clearly in a bad place with her marriage. He's not in a good place with his marriage. Like they actually have the discussion about like, should we have an affair? And they decide yes. Yeah. At some empty house out in the country, which it, even the conversation that they have while driving down there, it's, it's clear that they're, well, Sam especially is, is dealing with some guilt around this whole thought. Cause he's like, Oh, I shouldn't talk about my wife. In but the she's like, no, I've, I've thought about like my husband while we were driving out here too. Like it, I don't know, just the frankness of their conversation and like the focus on like the emotional nature of it was like very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I can't really think of another movie that like deals with adultery that like you've seen that lens put on it. Mm-hmm. And that honestly is why I love Aurora's character in all of this. Cause it, you see her being somewhat frank with Emma, but like she is very much buttoned up, but around her, you have the foil of Emma who is just an open book. Mm-hmm. I mean, to a point, like it's not like she comes out and tells flap ever throughout the movie. She never tells flap about the affair and she has a chance to. Yeah. And that look on her face, which we'll get to that part. Yeah. Um, regardless, they end up having the affair and like the, the kind of ending shot we have of him holding Emma and just kissing and embracing underneath a tree out by this, this farmhouse. Like, I don't know. It, it was clear that that was kind of what they both needed at that point. Yeah. So there, there's like a sweetness to their relationship. Yeah. Um, 
Unlike <laughs> 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 there is no sweetness there. there is well, not right now. Some very dangerous driving that's happening. I love the bit because they're like drunk driving his car on the beach. He's sitting up at the top, driving with his feet. She's working the pedals. I love the. Um, I'm not enjoying this. I'm going mm-hmm. to stop. Brake pulls the brake on the car. And like Um, launches him into the ocean. ocean. It's great. (laughs) And this is super interesting because you almost get to the point of Aurora just completely letting her hair down. And so they they like make out for a bit, but he goes for some boob grabbage and she's immediately like, nope, not into it. Nope. Nope. Moved a little too fast for her. Which, hey, if that that is your line, that is your go for it. Yeah. No, both actors go all in on that scene, though. Oh, it's. It's very well done. It's so good. And the way that Um, they arrive home with the dude blocking Garrett's driveway and he just kind of like bumps his his nice car into the bumper. He's like, get out of my driveway. You're breaking the law. (laughs) Yeah, because they are neighbors too. So like this date ends on like the most, like it wasn't a smooth date to begin with, but it ends on like the most awkward note, right? And the arguing, walking up the parallel driveways is just such a, fun scene <laughs> shot so well and then later it's like what a couple days later i think it's I'm not, or something. it might even be the same damn night i is it because i feel like she's on the phone fu- she definitely talks to emma about the date on the phone because emma kind of calls her out it's like how did it go and she's like oh it was terrible all this is and emma kind of calls her out on the being like i think you're afraid of like getting romantically entangled mm-hmm. with someone. Oh yeah. And then I, she tells them to shut up. <laughs> but then she like digs out her negligee and it's that like, it's clearly never been worn. I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting. It still has like the paper on it. So clearly like she bought this like very sexy nightgown and <laughs> like matching robe and has never used it. Which I, I do love the, how that really shows that she has this desire and she has to some extent admitted it to herself, but has yet to get over the repression of an act on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's still like too controlling of her own self and her own desires. Um, She calls him like he's out swimming in his pool you can tell because you hear him scream again. <laughs> well, and you see her like creepy through the creeping on him, watching him yeah. swim. <laughs> yeah. But Did you she, notice she had to look at the phone book to find his phone number yes, too, which I loved <laughs> the massive phone book that looks like you could brain someone with it. Um, but she calls him, which I was like, I was like, just go over there. Like, just go over there. Hop in the pool with him. Like, okay. But she has to have a ruse. And it is to see the Renoir. Uh, like, yes, I, I like the idea that this woman, her most comfortable place is on the phone. Like the phone is her safeguard almost. It's to like a fewer extent. walls to have to keep up in the moment. <laughs> or like it's its own wall. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, the pretense is to come over to see the Renoir. That happens to be in her bedroom. Oh I love goodness. that he calls her on it. And, he, and she's like, no, she's like, yes, that is what this is. But she still is going to put up a little bit of uh-huh. the pretense. <laughs> and he finally gives in and is like, OK, fine. There was that. Oh, my God. The the joke about if I don't answer the door, the back door is on. Is the belt. Open. And I'm like, 
Uh, Jack Nicholson's little pause there was just like, I'm gl- thank you for not saying something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she's like done herself up. She's like got the Renoir lit exactly how she wants it because she's still going to keep up that pretense. She's looking stunning. He is not. <laughs> no, he's just jumped out of the pool. He's in his like short shorts and this like vest, th- not vest, like jacket thing. But it's like unzip like i was like zip up your coat sir like it's okay, he unzipped next you could see so but he put that on and then just zipped it a little bit at the bottom so you can see like full beer gut okay but this is like such a representative look for mr garrett no, and it's so character that, like, he does, he's like, you know, we both know what we want. Like, it is what it is. Like, no pretense. Whereas she's all pretense. So, like, it makes sense for their characters. But I was just like, sir, this woman's trying to seduce mm-hmm. you. Just, like, be courteous and give her a little bit more to work with. Oh, yeah. But the way that she attacks him for that first kiss is just like, okay, this is confirmation that she wanted this has wanted this wants it now. And is like, come on, <laughs> she's made up her mind. <laughs> but the, the last little discussion they have about the lights and how she's like, you can go over and turn on the lights, your own damn house. Yes. But, Cause she's turning them off and he's uh, like, I'd prefer to leave them on. And she's like, no, like you're, you're in my house. We're doing it mm-hmm. on my terms. But the look he gives her when he turns off the lamp at the end of that scene is just like, great. <laughs> they have, Again, such great chemistry. And this is, again, really why do. I am so down with Jack Nicholson's win for, for supporting actor. Yeah. Yeah. Because their their chemistry really, really is great. So next thing we pivot back to Emma and the two boys are waking up uh, both Flap and Emma because their youngest, Melanie, has is like sick, has the croup, something or other. This was interesting to me because this is was very much showing the tension and the cracks in Flap and Emma's relationship. Because this is when the going is getting tough. It is 3 a.m. You have a sick kid with the croup. Have to have him in like a steamy bathroom for God knows how long. That was a whole discussion where Flap was like, what? When when can I go to bed? (laughs) Yeah. And Emma's like, I'm sorry, this is your kid, too. Like. I don't know. This is what it's like. Yeah. And so like you don't get to, you don't get to pick your hours when you right. have kids. And that just drove home how far apart they have grown for me because it's like he's he's clearly not involved with with raising the kids much. Well, and even here we're starting to get an idea that like Tommy as much as his and Emma's relationship isn't great, like he's definitely starting to see that like his dad's not around. Mm-hmm. Like his dad's not helping. It's not necessarily mommy driving daddy away like it was mm-hmm. when he was a kid. Because at one point he looks at his dad and he's like, "Are you coming?" <laughs> like, are you going to go see about uh, Melody? Yeah. I Or Melanie? Melanie, yeah. It's I, I do appreciate that they showed a little bit of of kind of their their eldest son catching on to what what's kind of going on, which I mean, I feel really badly for the kid because <laughs> it's tumultuous. I think I honestly, yeah, I think it would be so interesting to like read a book or see a movie from that child's point of view. But this is where the the new job comes out and the having to potentially move to Nebraska. And she is pissed to be the head of the English department because she's You know, Mm -hmm. she moved away from her support system for him in his career before. 
And she established a new support system and is being asked to leave it. But that support system you mentioned is like Sam. And so I love that what we find out later, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but she's about to find out that this affair, this quote unquote imagined affair is not imagined is is real. But no, because he's tried to gaslight her every time. And I like when she straight up calls him on the first time he tries to gaslight her. And she's like, yeah, he's a jerk. Yeah, I was bad person. Going to use the word that began with T and ended with T, but <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I it's interesting to me that their move is motivated by his affair, pulling her away from her affair. So that that's just yeah. a, a really fraught situation, to say the least. Yeah. We find that out later. Now we just get confirmation of the affair when he turns around and he's got Melanie like in the baby sling strapped to him. I was like, dude, you're having an affair and you have your kid there. Maybe like, or not. Like that's on. a next level situation. <laughs> that's just so shitty. Like, no, the kid's not going to remember that. But like, that's so shitty. Also, like. Like Emma finds him, confronts him, makes a scene. He's like, don't make a scene. She's like, fuck you. I'm going home to Houston and I'm taking the kids, which she does. When we find out that he moved them basically to like stay with the woman he was having an affair with, I just like, like also just like fuck her. Like you knew that like this was happening you know he's still married you know that he has kids you know that his wife is not okay with any of this like i'm really torn because i like there is culpability there but ultimately i pin it all on flap oh i just i both of them are making terrible choices like i'm willing to give the grad student a pass until emma catches them and is like mad about it then I'm willing to be like, maybe she didn't know the situation. Maybe yeah, but he they've lied talked to about her. it. And she, Janice, who we come to find out, has talked about it. Well, and she, I, her conversation with Emma is very interesting too. Cause mm-hmm. Emma is actually very calm with her, which I think is interesting. And Janice is like, you need to have a conversation with Flap. Like he and I have talked about this and we've talked about how he needs to talk to you. Like, you need to talk to him about it, which I'm also like, Janice, shouldn't there be some red flags for you, too? Uh, Yes, there should be. Like, can you trust Flap if he's not going to even do that? Exactly. No, you can't. You can't. His name's Flap. Like, come Um, on. (laughs) Sorry, that was horrible. (laughs) It was a joke fitting his name. Um, Anyway, sorry. I just want (laughs) to... I liked it. No, it's totally fine. But but yeah, that her finding that out motivates her going home to Houston, which I think is an interesting way to bring Aurora and Emma back together. And in a way that I think is they were already kind of equal, but this is like very much as equals in this relationship. Yes, I love that we can see how they have both grown kind of somewhat separately from each other. And so their relationship feels so much healthier now. It does. And I mean, they talk like gossip about Garrett next door and all that fun stuff. And the the comment about the sex being fan fucking tastic is just like, good for you, Aurora. I good love Deborah Winger's facial expression during that where she's like, I should be supportive, but also this is my mom. Uh, yeah, it's like, I didn't. <laughs> too many details. Um, 
we did gloss over a dinner scene at at Garrett's house where um, Aurora basically uh, reads him for having a shrine to his accomplishments like in his kitchen. Um, but they end up in bed together anyway, and he's talking about space and they're, you know, still growing together. I think it's clear, though, that like maybe Aurora feels a little bit more for him than he feels for her or like is willing to admit more of what she feels than he is willing to admit. Funny you say that, because at the same time, we realize that uh, Flap is having an affair. uh, Aurora gets broken up with. And that scene was heartbreaking. That she like knows that it's coming. Mm -hmm. I think Well, it's after Emma and the kids have gotten back. And I think it's Garrett feeling like he doesn't belong. I feel like it's him seeing like Aurora's family and thinking about like the permanence of his own relationships and stuff. And kind of that idea of being like, quote unquote, tied down or something. But I think he's not quite ready for like a familial commitment and obviously an obligation as he puts it yes which he's saying i'm starting to feel an obligation towards you and he i kind of wanted to be he's aurora he is aurora (laughs) yeah (laughs) they both have different types of walls hers are prim and proper his are a fucking mess but they both have walls they both have issues really letting other people in um and i kind of i was like Dude, if you're starting to feel an obligation, maybe that's not a sign that you should leave. Maybe that's a sign that you should stay because you want to, because you now feel obliged to somebody else's happiness. Yeah, but he's, again, the uh, gone to seed fly boy who doesn't want to be tied down by anybody. I know. We got to give him some more time. Exactly. It's it. He'll, he'll get there. He'll get there. Um. So we did talk about the con- confrontation between Janice and Emma, but next big introduction here, which I'm trying to decide whether I like, dislike, or I'm just okay like with the introduction of these lumps and the specter of cancer in the remainder of this film. Because this is like, I think, a massive turning point for me in the, in the movie. It's a big tonal shift, I think. Yes, I would agree. Because we do have this open question kind of hanging over us is all right what's going on with emma and her health and i mean i knew i knew it was gonna happen like the minute they introduced it you're like i I, you and i talked about this briefly before the podcast i feel like there was a period of time in like the 80s and 90s where all like all serious dramas ended in a cancer diagnosis for some reason or like a lot of them did and i don't know if that's just like a weird impression I have, or if that is something that's like reflective in the culture of people, maybe being more open to talking about terminal illness instead of being like, no, 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 no. We bury all of those anxieties and feelings deep down and ignore them. Or if it was like, had to do with maybe we were better at diagnosing it or something. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think the first option that you kind of put forward is kind of on the nose there. Cause again, would love to hear listeners thoughts on this as well. But like I, I was under the impression that especially mid-century time frame, cancer was never really a thing. Like you didn't talk about it. It's just, okay, you're convalescing. Oh, I, I'm trying to remember the euphemism that gets used. But anyway, 
talk about it in euphemistic terms, like you don't want to openly discuss it. And so the way that they lean into um, kind of the, the radical idea of talking about it openly, especially in Emma's trip to New York City, makes me think that's what they were going for. Yeah, because there's the bit where she's talking about um, the fact that her friend Patsy had like told her friends mm-hmm. that Emma had been diagnosed and that they were kind of like treating her with kid gloves or like talking a lot about their own tragedies to her as if, I guess, to bond. I don't know. That was kind of weird. To Lots me. of oversharing. Yeah. <laughs> they were, it's like, oh, this person has like a bad health diagnosis. I will overshare with them. Pain Olympics. Um, yeah. But Emma's like, I feel like people should just say it. Like, it's not a big deal. People recover from it. Like, it's it'll be fine. And then cut to they're at this other party. And this woman just walks up to her and is like, so I hear you have cancer. And Patsy, like, spits the olive out of, that she'd been yeah. eating and just smacks <laughs> Emma in the chest. And Emma's like... Okay, Patsy, not what I meant. <laughs> oh, my God. And the way that, that that particular character leads into, oh, I'm a nutritionist and my husband, blah, 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 made me immediately think of the modern day MLM movement. Oh, my God, yes. It was like, wow, you're about to use this cancer diagnosis as a way to like sell her your nutritional products. Oh, my God. <laughs> or services. I'd, yeah. I, I'm probably projecting a very modern lens on that, but that is totally what I felt. No, totally. I I do think it's like I said, there is a big tonal shift when you have the introduction of Emma's diagnosis. However, they do keep these pockets of comedy, which I very much appreciated. Mm -hmm. So really, the remainder of the film is this entire cast of, of characters dealing with Emma's diagnosis that is ultimately terminal. So I think you get to see a lot of folks, true colors in this. And honestly, you get to see the performances really shine. So it flap up until this point, like Jeff Daniels performance has been fine, but I think this is where I actually start to see why I think I know you were conflicted a bit of him not appearing on the, the best supporting actor. Yeah. Um, this is why, um, because I, the thing I will say in defense of this, ridiculous character with a ridiculous name he stays he when emma gets the diagnosis like he is focused on this he is i like that she's like no no no, you're gonna take care of the kids like he's like oh well patsy or your mom she's like no no no, you're gonna take care of them which i think in hindsight is her being like you have if this goes bad you have to know if you are capable of doing it Mm-hmm. And that phone call between Flap and Aurora while Emma's in New York City and Flap is like at wit's end because, you know, he's working full time and taking care of the kids and three kids. It's because it's not just like he's not a single dad for one kid. Like right. it's three kids, two of which are pretty darn young. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's very, very clear. They they do not have the luxury of being able to pay for help either. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it's it's a drain on him and it's clear i i do oh my god the the exchange between aurora and him where he's like oh if only i could be so carefree and she's she makes this comment about how they don't have anything to be ashamed of (laughs) like called out again so good um yeah you have him do you what should we talk about first i think really 
what we see is Emma is hospitalized and you see Aurora kind of rallying around her, pulling in fun works of art on the wall, which she does make this line to the one uh, handyman putting it up where it's like, that's worth more than you'll ever make in your life. And I was like, calm the fuck down, Aurora. I know. That that was not a good look for her. But um, she's doing that there. She's there day and night. You see that Patsy has joined. And the one scene at the pool at the hotel that just like killed yes. me is Aurora's coming home from the hospital. It's clear that she is like in her thoughts, super down, understandably. And she's kind of walked by, said hi to Patsy, said hi to the kids. And all of a sudden, Garrett is at the top of the stairs. And that was like a, I'm not crying, you're crying moment. <laughs> I know. Right. And the way he just hugs her, like he how he clearly like heard about Emma and like came to be there for her. But then we roll from that into the scene at the airport. Cause I, I don't know about you, but I was like, Oh, Garrett's back. Like it's going to be like a thing. Like, okay. I was thinking like their storyline had kind of gotten wrapped up at that point until we go to the airport and like he's leaving. She's like, Oh, it's so nice for you to come and visit. They like hug. They both like grab each other's asses, which I thought was really funny and cute. Well, and the, like at, evolution of Aurora's character that she's able to like goof around like that. It's great. Goof around like that in a very public setting. Yes. Um, and then she tells him that she loves him and like in, in like a very frank way. And then they kind of part and she starts to walk away and then she goes back and is like, Oh, Hey Garrett, one last thing. And he's like, Oh my God, I thought I got away. Cause she's, cause she's like, what did you have any reaction to me telling you loved like me telling you, I loved you at all. And he doesn't. Well, he gives that what he calls the standard response of like, love you too, kid, which is yeah. the, the addition of that kid at the end, I think just informalize makes it so much more informal. Um, but to me, you kind of saw that he wasn't sure. And again, that's his performance. I think it's that I agree. I think it's that he's not ready to say it because clearly he feels something because he like came to comfort her in an hour of need. Mm-hmm. A flu too. flu in the 70s. <laughs> like What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, all these folks, with the exception of like Flap and Emma, are are rather loaded. So, yes, yeah. So, moving back to, I do want to talk some more about um, Flap and Aurora because they have a conversation at like. The well, cafe. first we have that we have that scene of Aurora freaking out about her daughter getting the pain meds. She's like, it is 10 p.m. All she had to do was hold on to 10 p.m. It is 10 p.m. Where is her? Where's the shot? Where's her pain shot? This is the only time you see Aurora lose it. The only time. Because this is the only thing that could make her lose it is the person who she cares about in this world more than anything else being in pain. Oh, that was heartbreaking. Yeah. Heartbreaking. And then when the nurse runs in there to give Emma the shot, you just have her. Thank you. And like, she's calm again. Yeah. Oh, it's downhill from here because the next scenes are just goodbyes. I'm already tearing up. Well, you have Flap and Aurora's conversation about who's going to take care of the kids and how he's like, they're going to be with me. They're my kids. Like, you have no say. But then I, when I love Aurora says the 
the best thing about you was always that you knew your own limitations. Don't let that change now. Cut to his conversation with Emma. Which is so that their conversation is still so sweet given all that they've gone through. It's because they both genuinely care about what is best for their kids Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And they're so upfront about it where she's like, do you want to raise them? And he's kind of like, I just like, I don't think I can. Like he does admit that like, he doesn't think he's the best option and he doesn't want them to go to her mom because they, he and her mom have always been antagonists, but she's like, not going with Janice better not be there. That's like her one ask. Yeah. She's like, I don't want them with Janice. Uh, She's like, Patsy really wants to raise Melanie and I'm sure she'd take the boys, but I don't think she really like, and I don't want to split them up, obviously, especially because like Teddy's really, really close with Melanie, which is adorable. Yeah. Um, So she's like, my mom's the best choice and we both know it. And he, he's like, yep. Yeah, that's true. And it's what you want. And So they wrap that up. We now see Patsy getting Emma ready to like talk to the the kids. This is the bit where I'm, I can already feel myself starting to cry. I'm, I'm working on not because it's, there's just, it's clear again. I I don't think, so we haven't talked too terribly much about um, Lisa Hart Carroll's performance as Patsy, but it, they like hold there she holds her own with the rest of this stellar cast and this scene is like that representative piece for me because she again is doing that thing where she's holding back like what she really wants to say but emma's like you don't have to say anything i know i know um and they're like putting on makeup so that emma can like does so that she you know looks more lively to say goodbye to her sons and it's just such a, a kind gesture for Patsy to make. Now, I do appreciate that Emma is kind of allowing Patsy to do this. Like, that's such a compassionate thing for her. Because um, after Patsy leaves, she begins to take it off before she sees her sons. So that that's like a that little touch just really broke me. <laughs> well, because it was like it was like their moment. Yeah. Like them being like teens together again. Yeah. Now the scene with the sons. I don't know why this just wrecked me. It, it wrecked me too. Like I started bawling and also just like the child actors. So it's Troy Bishop as Tommy and Huckleberry Fox as Teddy. What a name. They were amazing. <laughs> They did such a great job. And also Deborah Winger is just doing amazing stuff in this scene. Um, but it's her saying goodbye to her boys. Teddy's bawling. Tommy's clearly trying not to look at her mm-hmm. and being like preteen grumpy. And I love when she's like, I know you try and pretend that you hate me. And he's like, no, I like you. And she like continues on with her speech and does the whole like, I know you love me. You can pretend to hate me, but years from now, this you might the, have to finish it. Can you finish it? Yeah, because I'm, I'm this about is, to lose it again. It's fine. This is this is the part that got me because, again, 
this compassion that she shows and the empathy where it's like, I, I know that you in the future, if you don't say that you love me, are going to like beat yourself up over it. But don't because I know it. And that <laughs> I mean, I'm barely getting through it, but that is was the like. Yeah. Uh, it was the incredible. writing, the writing <laughs> and then the emotion that Deborah Winger brings to it where it's very clear that she's past the point where she can like devote much energy to outwardly being like emotional because that's just where her character is. But, you know, you know that she's feeling this in such a deep way. It is incredible. Yeah, if you if you're watching that scene, the younger son Teddy is just sobbing the whole time. Yeah. That was me. <laughs> I had to take my glasses off because my eyelashes do this thing where if I blink when I'm crying, it flings tears onto my glasses. <laughs> and then I can't see. <laughs> oh my god. Oh um, yes, that scene is that scene is incredible. Uh well, this this last set of scenes is incredible because yes. the final scene with Deborah Winger, this like I, I was already crying at the boys, but the end is even more like I think I had just collected myself <laughs> just barely because you have flap sleeping in a chair. You have Aurora just kind of watching her daughter there rest. And and the way that Deborah Winger just like slowly and calmly turns to her mom and just does this little wave. Waves goodbye. And, <laughs> yeah, we're we're, <laughs> we're <laughs> this is the most emotional I've ever been while recording. But it is so good. Oh, God, it's also just so raw because we both just watched it. I know. Um, it, oh. And at the same time, this allows Flap and Aurora to like actually show that differences aside, like uh, Flap like comforts Aurora in this time of like. Ugh. Yeah. And and the the line that Aurora has about how like she thought it would be freeing, but it's so much worse. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I just oh good performances there. Okay, I have to clean um, my glasses now because I have tears okay. on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> um whew. um so we come back to kind of where we started. So we had sort of the aftermath of the funeral very early on in the film for Emma's dad. We now have Emma's the aftermath of Emma's funeral. And they are at Aurora's house and we see everyone there. Um, Tommy is clearly kind of hiding. And there's, I think, a really sweet moment between Flap and Tommy where he he's just kind of checking in on his son and he's not forcing him to like talk or interact, which I think is very sweet, but mm-hmm. just being like a kind of like, I'm here for you. And then when flap goes and sits next to Patsy and like, she just kind of puts an arm around him and there's like, 
there's like flap can finally cry. Yes. He can finally cry. And there's like a friendship there, which I think is so sweet, especially considering like when, uh, Emma had gone back to Houston and Patsy was there. Like there's that bit where flap calls on the phone and Patsy's like, I don't think you've changed at all. And that's not a good thing. Like, because she's Emma's ride or die, but like, yeah, them Mm -hmm. kind of comforting each other over that you have, Garrett, Garrett talking to to Melanie about like, oh, if you want to do dance, we have all these different dance schools. The reveal of him being there is so cute. Uh, it's oh. so good. Like, yes. And I think like that's him being like, you know what? Actually, like I am up for this. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's like uh, talking to Melanie about all the good dance schools. He later goes and talks to Tommy about he's like, I hear you're a swimmer. And it's like an it's like interaction with the kids. It's like sweet and like definitely a little awkward. Like you can tell yeah. this is somebody who's not used to interacting with kids, but like by God, he's gonna try. And it's just what the kids needed because the the fact that with Tommy, he's like, "Here, let's let's go look at the pool." And Tommy's like, "I'm not sure it's the right time." And he's like, "No, it's the perfect time." Yeah, like <laughs> like. Maybe you need like you needs a little bit of distraction sometimes when you're mm-hmm. grieving. And um I there's also they don't they still don't lose the comedy in this too, because then you have Aurora with Melody sitting next to her and being like, Come closer, 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 <laughs> closer. <laughs> Melody scoots little by little. Um But you end with that that shot of Aurora on her steps with Melanie in her lap watching is is like Garrett and Tommy like are walking away and it's like the I think this is a perfect ending for that because the amount of just peace you have like it's been a rough 20 minutes but you know like folks are on the right path yeah it ends with with some hope it was rough, but it's so good. It was. Well, I will say I did appreciate that it was only rough for like 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Most of it. I mean, there were some like rough, especially when Flap and Emma's relationship got to kind of the the worst parts. That was like rough in a different way. But um, yeah, it just makes me emotional. I mean, clearly it made us both really emotional. Oh, yeah. Well, and like for me in general, like death especially people that are close to you is like a huge uh i don't want to say issue or trigger because that's like a little bit strong but like that is what will get me going it's sad (laughs) yeah it's sad so sad thing anyway i i do recommend it it's have a tissue box nearby yes absolutely do okay i think i know exactly where i want to put this so do i do you want to lead off um okay I'm going to put it as my new number 19. It is right after Ordinary People and right before Best Years of Our Lives. Oh, I'm so I excited. Do think, is- I don't think this was paced perfectly. I think, like I mentioned, that the beginning's a little bit choppy. Um, but I do think it isn't overly long the way something like Best Years of Our Lives was. I think... Performance wise, it is right in there with ordinary people, best years of our lives. Like the performances are really, really great. Um, It just kicked me right in the feels. And so I will say, though, I did like ordinary people a little bit better. It was a little bit more contained. I thought the pacing was better. I thought like 
some elements like score and stuff were better, but I mean, it's, it's similar issues, right? It's dealing with like grief Mm -hmm. and family and familial relationships. Um, but yeah, overall, like, I mean, it was, it was a really good film. Mm -hmm. I love that you put it right by ordinary people. Did you? I actually put it ahead of ordinary people. So it is my new number 14. So it is after Tom Jones and before ordinary people. So like, I I think you could honestly make an argument for ordinary people in terms of endearment being, well, one very similar in content and, and themes, but there was something about kind of the freshness of focusing on the, the relationship of, of Aurora and Emma that I just, loved and again kicked me in the feels in a way that ordinary people didn't (laughs) so like i i would agree with you on things like score that ordinary people did a generally better job but like overall as as the whole package i felt that terms of endearment was more effective i don't remember (laughs) if i cried during ordinary people i think i I did well i said i didn't but i may i think i did just made a liar out of myself i don't know um (laughs) but they're neck and neck for sure Oh, yeah. Um, And I put it after Tom Jones because, again, Tom Jones is a delight. And that is the defense I'm going to use of that. And uh, it happened one night and deal with it. Um, Tom Jones is also very inventive film wise. Oh, totally agree. Like it's well, like terms of endearments, well shot, but it's not particularly inventive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the. Yeah. That's that's really what it comes down to is, is again, like you could pick apart individual parts and make the argument that terms of endearment should be higher. But again, it's really hard to really compare those two films. But I enjoyed Tom Jones more. So it's higher. Same. <laughs> All right. That does it for terms of endearment. I think we can both recommend this movie with the caveat that you most likely will cry. Yes. Um, that's OK. You know what? Sit in your feels. You do what you need to do. Catharsis is important. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Um, Next time, we will be doing either Amadeus, which according to the super casual Twitter poll that I put out at the beginning of our 80s run, um, is the one that people are like, oh, that's that's the best one of the 80s. Like, that's the one you're looking forward to. I'm so So excited. excited. Uh, We should do a watch party. We'll either be doing that or another one that I'm really excited about. We're still working on scheduling it, but Raiders of the Lost Ark. So keep in touch, uh, keep aware, whatever, to to see when that one drops. Um, or just look in your podcast feed and you'll be surprised. Yeah, just go ahead and subscribe <laughs> and, and then you'll be sure not to miss it. Um, if you want to find us in the meantime, we are on social media. We are at Best Pictures Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, or you can email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. Rate, subscribe, review, all that. Yeah. So thank you for listening. And as Maggie said, join us next time for a movie. <laughs> <laughs>